You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to Orange County's longest running business talk show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. We have an exciting show planned for you today. Why do you ask? Because Dita Shemke is with us. She's a wealth advisor, an entrepreneur here in Orange County, a friend and acquaintance of mine for quite some time. So Dita, welcome to the program. Thank you, Rick. Glad to be here today. So, so you've been in the wealth management industry for a couple of decades, and as an entrepreneur, you've been in business for 11 years. I'm wondering, what was the original motivation for you to start your practice? Well, funny you should ask, because there's really a funny story behind that. So um, I like to say this job found me mm-hmm. and not the other way around. So let me explain. So soon after I completed my executive MBA from Pepperdine, the company that put me through school went to an LBO and they offered me to stay, but I had this newfound knowledge and resolve. So I took this opportunity to invest in a technology-based startup that I also co-managed. Fast forward several years and I sold my share to my partner, which freed me up to do something else. I thought that something else was management consulting. Well, this other career in financial advising kept popping on my radar until one day I opened the Wall Street Journal to a full page ad from Smith Barney looking for female financial advisors. I thought this was showing up just one too many times, so I called to attend their information session. Well, I had, I guess, more important things to do, so I didn't show up. They called me up and they asked me, are you still interested? And I said, yeah, sure, when's the next one? Well, we don't know. It depends on demand. Well, I really just wanted to cross it off my list. So um, I said, can I talk to somebody uh, who can just, I just want to find out if this is something for me. So I got a call from the branch manager who hired me. Hmm. And after a long three month back and forth, you know, they got my resume after a long three month back and forth, they offered me the job. And I said, "Mm, not sure if I really want to do this job. (laughs) They go, okay. This is this is their final offer. I granted this is not what you want to do. You want to do something else. If I give you a good enough salary, I give you all the credentials you need after six months, you don't like it, you walk away, you owe me nothing, will you take the job? And hmm. I said, hmm. I said, can I think about it for a couple of days? So I went back to my mentors, my good friends, and they all said to me, Are you crazy? you know how you love to learn. Think about this as another MBA. And I said, aha. So that was 20 years ago. (laughs) And here I am still here. So what is it about the wealth management industry and field that you enjoy? It's really problem solving. So that is the basic theme of my practice, and it relates back to management consulting. When you're doing management consulting, you're solving problems for the business. So it's all about finding the opportunity to problem solve to make your uh, clients more successful. That is really the key. And and now as an entrepreneur in Orange County, I'm wondering how long after you started your own practice did you feel like the business that you were building was going to thrive. Okay. So uh, let me answer that by giving you a couple of examples. Okay. 
my practice is built on 100% on relationships. So how deep is my bond with my clients? How seriously do they follow my advice? I can point to a couple of major indicators. So first was in 2009. Remember the market in 2009 went crazy, right? Uh, all except one heeded my advice to hang in there while the markets gave back 40 to 45% of its value. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the client who jumped from the ledge was a gentleman in his early 50s who sold his business unsolicited just a year before the crash for $20 million cash. So after weeks of trying to talk him down, he finally jumped and he um, realized over $2 million in losses. Mm -hmm. If he hung in there just a little bit longer, we all know the story, right? From the lowest point of the market, 12 months later, you recovered and then some. So the rest of my clients were thankful for that advice to hang in there. And those clients are still my clients today. And the second time is when I decided to move from Smith Barney to my current firm almost 11 years ago today. 95% of my clients followed me, which is a very high percentage in the industry. So to me, that speaks volumes of the bond and the trust that we have developed through the years. So those are the two indicators to me that, yeah, I think I can make it. <laughs> right, that's very encouraging. I'm wondering on the other side of that, were there ever, uh, a, was there ever a dark time where you were worried that maybe outside forces were conspiring or going to put your business and your practice at risk? I think more so than uh, in the early stages of my career when I was trying to develop this business. I mean, I built this business from scratch. I didn't have one client. So I called my parents. I called my friends. <laughs> <laughs> right. Friends you know and family. Yeah. Uh, the only thing is I didn't start in a garage, right? So right. Um, I called my parents. I called my friends. I said, hey, this is what I'm doing now. Uh, you trust me all these years, uh, but you know, beyond that, it's really hard to develop a business, especially being female in this industry. Hmm. And we can talk more about that. And, you know, when, when, when your question comes about that, but, um, um, other than that, I think, uh, developing a way to understanding what your vision is for the, for the practice and developing a way to uh, bring the right relationships to the table, I think is key for maintaining and growing the practice. And I don't veer from that. Uh, I make sure that my clients and I, we both understand what's expected. And, um, and we both have a very long-term approach to how we, how we work with the clients, what are their dreams, what are their, what are their objectives. We only make changes to the client's plan um, if their goals change. Do you so we're very, very, very uh, clear about that. Well, that's important, I think, in any facet of one's life to have a plan. And certainly in this area, the wealth management, it's critical to have that long term. And I'm wondering if you could share with the audience today a little bit about your practice, maybe what makes it in your mind and in your client's mind different and unique and how you position your practice in people's minds. So my practice is 100% planning based and fee based. So I'm not transactional at all. In fact, I don't even know how to trade. So I always call the trade desk if I have to sell a bond that my clients own or if I have to sell a stock or buy a stock that my clients want to buy. So the under, I, I alluded to this earlier, the underlying theme of my practice is really problem solving. And uh, 
to me, the grayer, the better, which means that what's in front of me is not as easy as it looks. I like to find ways to turn something complex into something that's easier to understand, break it down into manageable pieces. I also prefer to work alongside other trusted advisors. Hmm. To have different sets of eyes looking at the same issue is invaluable. And it's really to benefit the client, first and foremost. So my practice focuses on two areas. One is women, very obviously, because I am a fierce advocate for women to become more successful, not just financially, but in life in general. Most of my female clients, though, are widows because I feel that widows need a lot of handholding in their most vulnerable state in their lives when they have just lost their husbands. They need somebody they can trust to steer them in the right path. Um, and um, the other part of my business that I focus on is owners of private companies because I have invested and co-managed a couple of businesses in the past. This is near and dear to my heart. It starts with working with the personal wealth of the business owner, most of which is tied to the business that they run. And then I get to ask these three critical questions. A lot of them don't have the time to think about it. What do you need to maintain your lifestyle after you exit the business? How will you find meaning? What will be your life purpose after you leave? And are current business outcomes aligned with your personal goals? That third one is important because if they're not aligned, it will be very difficult for you to reach your goal. Or maybe you have to make some adjustment to reach your goal. And believe it or not, the starting point in exploring answers to these questions is a comprehensive wealth plan. So we start with that. The process moves the conversation down the right path and it's manifested in different components of the plan, retirement, exit strategy, building a legacy, et cetera. So I find that most business owners are so focused on running day to day, which leaves them with little or no time to really think about these critical questions. And here's the other thing. They also don't realize or they forget that the opportunity to sell at the top of the market comes in cycles. Mm -hmm. So they need to plan ahead if they really want to exit uh, with the most possible outcome for them after they exit the business. So I don't know if we have time to give two examples of that. Yes, we do. Please do. I'm interested. Okay. So these two clients are actually in the, both in the construction industry. So one of them, it's a family business. Um, husband wants to retire or actually he's one foot out the door and the wife can't decide what she wants to do after the business is gone. So I've been talking to them, talking to them. Finally, in 2007, early 2008, the wife says to me, okay, I now know what I want to do. Let's go and look at selling the business. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what happened shortly after that? Yeah. So, so it was ill timing. Right. And the other one, uh, also around the same time frame, um, bought a business for 3 million, grew it to about 50 million. Mm. And um, somebody knocked on his door and said, I want to buy your business. And he says, look, He's in early 50s. Says, I'm not thinking about selling my business, but if you have a number that's closer to what I have in my brain, okay, let's talk. So long story short, he sold the business for 20 million cash. Hmm. And uh, so that's just, you know, thinking about timing, right? right. One says, I don't know what I want to do with my, my, my life after the business. So I'm going to think about that. 
but you know, really with no goal in mind, no end date in mind. And the other one says, hmm, it's a great opportunity. Maybe I should take some money off the table and do something else with my life. So those are the two very different uh, examples of clients who did not have the wherewithal to really look at what's important in terms of timing. We're talking with Dita Shemke. She is an entrepreneur. She's uh, in the wealth. She's in a wealth advisor, let's say it that way. And she's in a friend and acquaintance of mine for quite some time. I'm wondering, with your history in the financial industry, I'm wondering if you could give us just a sense for how your industry has changed over the 20 plus years that you've been in it, Dita. Okay. So uh, it has changed a lot and very little <laughs> and let me explain that yeah please do changes that are apparent to me are more regulations based like reg bi that's best interest so you're mm -hmm. supposed to act as a fiduciary for your clients and why that's being regulated i don't know <laughs> that's called ethics right move towards the move towards fee base versus transactional although in in today's world there's still a lot of transactional um practitioners in this business um, and um, the business is more favorable to uh, teams now versus solo practitioners mm. uh, um, than when I started. In recent years, this has been a lot of movement toward the independent channel. Part of the reason I think is stricter compliance and supervision in the national firms because of these regulations that have come about. What needs to change, you might ask? Um, remember this story I told you about how I came into this business, looking at that one page ad in the Wall Street Journal, looking for female advisors? Sure. Well, that was yeah. 20 years ago. It's still difficult to entice women to enter this industry. Hmm. It's not easy to survive in the business. Some of the same reasons which became apparent during COVID that forced women out of the workforce and why a lot are not coming back. Hmm. And the other thing I think is cultural. And what I mean by that is women have a different way of doing business. The industry realizes now that we need to work differently with female clients versus male clients. And it's no different if you are on the other side of the table doing the advising. More effort is needed to compel women to stay in the business if you know they're there. And for that matter, the younger generation where being socially responsible is a big issue in deciding whether or not to work for an employer. So these are the, the changes that I've seen and these are the changes I think that need to happen in the industry. Interesting, thank you for your perspective. You know, you, you've, throughout our conversation here on the business talk show, you've mentioned your awareness and support for female owned business owners and executives. And I know that you're developing a nonprofit that's designed to support kind of female executives in landing their first corporate board position. I'm interested in that initiative. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about this nonprofit. I'd be happy to. And I'm glad you asked me that question, Rick. As you may know, I launched the Orange County 5050 Women on Boards campaign in 2019. And then I returned to chair the virtual events in 2020 and 2021. So there are many organizations out there that support board-ready senior female professionals. I mean, the C-level in, in publicly traded companies and large corporations, but there's 
none for those who are next board in the next board space. And what I mean by that are women who are um, willing and able and have the right experience um, work, but don't have the exposure who are one to two years away from landing their first corporate board position. Hmm. So we're trying to fill this gap with this nonprofit that we're trying to build. The goal is not to reinvent what's already there uh, or duplicate what's already there, but the goal is to build an ecosystem that will provide support, accountability, and the network to become successful in getting on that first board for this particular group of women. So we're still in development uh, uh, phase, and uh, I think our planned launch is sometime before the end of the year. Hmm. And um, so I can't really tell you more uh, than what I've already told you, but if I'm lucky enough to get invited back to your show, I would be happy to talk to you more about that. So we can bring awareness to this project that we're piloting in Orange County. Great. I'm just curious, Dita, what, can you talk a little bit about the next board ready female executives? Like who are you looking to attract and help with the nonprofit when you get it launched? So a good example, and this is actually how it came about, is the leadership um, committee for the 50-50 women on boards in Orange County. And this has nothing to do with 50-50. This is standalone. Um, we're not trying to duplicate what they're doing um, because they're totally uh, focused on something else. So most of the most of the members of the leadership committee, um, like I said, they're entrepreneurs. They have their own uh, practices in many different areas. Um, they are willing and able to do the things that they need to do. But all of us have a full-time job. So, uh, and if you don't have the right network, you have to build that network. If you don't have the right um, tools at your fingertips to help you stay in the game, so you are always working on getting to that first board position, it's very difficult. So what this project will do is it will provide all of that uh, the accountability, the hand-holding, the network, the building, um, and uh, the support, because we all need support when we're trying to get from A to B, uh, mm-hmm. especially if we have our plates full already. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's what I call the next board um, group of women. They are not, they don't have the C-level um, uh, titles that come from some of our locally publicly traded um, companies here. Um, they don't have the media exposure, you know, people don't know them from Adam, you know, but they do have the experience. They've sat on nonprofit boards. They've done their homework. They just need a little bit more boost and a little bit more, um, help in getting to their next, their first position. Yeah, that's exciting. And I'm, uh, and I can see where that would be really beneficial because you said several times, and I think it's true having the network to even be in the game is so crucial for these type of positions. And that's part of the value of what you're bringing with a nonprofit. I think that's commendable. So I'm glad we had a couple of minutes to talk about it, Dita. Thank you. Okay. So let's look back at your wealth advisory practice. What's the future hold? Tell me about tomorrow. What's your vision for the firm in the future? So for my particular practice, um, my typical client now is already my ideal client believe it or not. So it's really doing more of the same Mm -hmm. and making sure that I stick to that game plan uh, of what kind of clients I want to bring or add to my practice. 
my practice will continue to grow by choosing those synergistic relationships where I can add value to their lives and they can truly benefit from my interests, strengths, and resources. So I like to say that I don't need a thousand clients. I just need a hundred of the right clients. As for my vision for the future for the financial services industry, hopefully to grow, not just for the sake of growing, it's not all about AUM, uh, assets under management. It's not all about that, but to evolve into becoming a good corporate citizen in every sense of the word. The day has come for corporate America to show they care about its stakeholders. So the employees, the company, the community, investors, and customers. This has become a way of doing business and a sure way to measure success. And I hope that um, the financial services industry follow the rest of corporate America in, in uh, rising to the occasion. Well, if someone would like to get in touch with you and learn more about your firm, how do they connect with you on LinkedIn? So how do I do that? Do I just spell it out for you, Rick? <laughs> I actually have uh, www.linkedin.com mm -hmm. uh, forward slash IN forward slash Dita, my first name, D-I-T-A hyphen Shemke, S-H-E-M-K-E. But I also have formed a um, business mastermind to support my practice. Mm. Um, and it's called Trusted Advisor Council or TAC, T-A-C. And the the um, the link to that is www.trustedadvisorcouncil, one word, that's C-O-U-N-C-I-L.com. Well, that's excellent. That's a really good idea. I'm a big fan of mastermind groups. I think there's a lot that can be learned from our peers. So I'm, I applaud your efforts in that area as well, Dita. So thank you for spending a little bit of time here on the program today and sharing a bit of your knowledge with our audience. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Rick. Um, I'm so glad that we were able to get together today. I know it took a long time for us to do this, and I'm so glad that we did this. I want to thank the audience. You've been a part of Orange County's longest-running business talk show. Dita's episode was episode number 1,375. If you're an Orange County entrepreneur and you would like to tell your story, then connect with me on LinkedIn or visit my website. Both can be found at Rick Franzi, R-I-C-F-R-A-N-Z-I. That's my LinkedIn profile name and my website. And until the next time we have a chance to be together, I sincerely hope that all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. Thank you, Rick.